Welcome to the 6AM Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6AM Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6AMRun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the 6 a.m. Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Always a pleasure to have you a part of the show. We have a great guest for you today. But as always, before the show, I'd like to know that this show is brought to you by 6 a.m. Run and 6amrun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So, Today, um, we have a unique guest. We have Lion Goodman. That is G-O-O-D-M-A-N. If you're looking him up, he has an amazing story that um, he will share with us. But before we get into that, Lion, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go just introduce yourself for our audience? Thank you, Mark. It is a great pleasure to be here with you. I've listened to some of your podcasts and you're a great podcaster, so... There's, there's an introduction for you in case anybody doesn't know you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, I am a, a certified professional therapeutic coach. That's a mouthful. But what it means is that I work with people at both the psychological level and the coaching level. So therapeutic coaching is in between coaching and therapy. It has advantages over both. And we're able to transform our clients profoundly and permanently, usually in one session, in every session. So it's a very powerful form of coaching. And I've trained over 600 people around the world in 45 countries in this methodology called the Clear Beliefs Method. And I appreciate that. And, and we're going to get into just, and like I mentioned before, the, the amazing story uh, when you were 26. But before we get into that, I have a very specific question for you because I'm on your website and everybody that is Lion Goodman, L-I-O-N-G-O-O-D-M-A-N.com. That is a website. You can actually pause the show right now and, and go to the show notes and you can, you can save the website there. But at the very beginning of your website, you say, I help high achievers become super achievers. So my question for you, and I don't do this often where I ask specific questions, but I just want your take on what is the difference in your opinion, between a high achiever and a super achiever? Well, let's start even lower. Okay, <laughs> let's, okay let's, let's do that. Let's, I like it. Let's start at no achievers. Okay. <laughs> uh, these are people who are living life uh, without motivation, without charge, without energy. Uh, they're just getting by. And it's pro usually not their fault, but there's a large population of those people. And then there are low achievers, people who are getting along and doing okay. They're not being dragged down necessarily, but they're not moving forward much either. And then you've got achievers who are actually getting something done. They're moving in their life. They're 
maybe plodding along, maybe skipping along. Uh, they have dreams and they have desires that they're not fulfilling. High achievers are people who are actually in action toward those dreams and goals. And super achievers are people whose whole life is based on that ability to create what they want rather than be a victim to what's happening. And what I'm hearing from that, I think a lot of people, not, I, I, I'm not going to say a lot of people, but some people I've talked to have always, they, they've talked about that thrive versus survive mentality. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, you know, if you take that average achiever down to no achiever, they're just surviving. They're just doing everything they can survive. But once you get up into that top tier, high achiever to super achiever, you're talking about people who thrive in their life or want to thrive. Am I correct in, in at least making that assumption? Absolutely. I mean, the people that come to me want to clear something up that's blocking them in their life. Uh, that means that they have the motivation, they have the desire, they have a vision for their life or their, a goal that they want to achieve, but something's holding them back. Mm. Now, I'm called the subconscious pattern detective because I'm able to go down and find out what is at the core of the psyche that's holding them back. Now, there's also external circumstances, but if you're in good shape personally, you can handle those external circumstances. But if you're being held back internally, you won't be able to master the circumstances. No, I, to I totally get it. And, and, and I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm actually positive when I say I totally get it. I, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have gotten that. I probably would have said it and not meant it, but I definitely understand. So let's back up. And I, I can't talk to you without, I mean, I read your bio. I've, I've seen the website. I've seen your, your uh, booklet and, and brochures that you sent over to me. You had something just absolutely... I, I don't want to use the word, I mean, traumatic, I think, is the word I want to use, but I'll let you kind of explain that. 26, year olds, 26 years old, can you kind of tell us what you went through and what kind of impact that had on your life? Sure. Uh, I was 26 years old and I was a little bit lost. Uh, I had graduated with a, with a degree in consciousness studies from the University of Colorado a few years before but nobody was hiring anyone with degrees in consciousness studies, primarily because I was the first that I know of to actually get a degree in that, in that field. So nobody, nobody thought, hey, let's hire a consciousness graduate. So today it's much more common, but back then I was, a, I was a, on the bleeding edge, as they say. Um, so um, I couldn't get a job, so I took a job as a traveling salesman, and I was basically traveling around the Southwest selling jewelry and gift items to stores. Um, I had grown up in my dad's retail store, so I knew about sales. And so I would just go around and, and sell my wares. Uh, and on the road, because I was on the road so much, I was kind of a good Samaritan. I'd stop and help people whose cars had broken down and, or who had a flat tire. Um, and in this case, I was going from Las Vegas to L.A. And um, I saw a guy whose car had broken down in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Now, today, this isn't so unusual. But back then, 110 degrees outside was a lot. <laughs> and so uh, he was looking at the inside of his engine as if he knew what to do. But of course, you know, he, he didn't. Uh, so I pulled over and I said, you know, can I help you in any way? And he said, yeah, I just put $200 into her and she won't start. And I don't know what to do. I said, oh, I'm he heading into L.A. Do you want to ride? And he looked at me kind of funny, and then he said, yeah, okay. And he, he went into his 
car and he pulled out some duffel bags and boxes and stuff and he put them in my van. Uh, I was driving an RV van and it was already pretty crowded and his stuff made it even more crowded. But I figured I'd take him into LA and let him let him off. Well, we started talking, smoked a little pot together, got friendly, and uh, I, I stopped to get some food. And I said, do you want some? He said, yeah, but I don't have any money. So, uh, so I bought him some food. And basically, I kind of took him under my wing. And he ended up traveling with me for three days. I grew to trust him. He'd go and get the van gassed up or washed or move, move stuff around. Um, and the third night, we were parked out in the middle of nowhere, uh, east of L.A., and uh, I was in the back of the van in this crouch position. He was in the front of the van listening to music. And um, suddenly there's an explosion and something hit me in the head. And it, my first thought was the gas stove exploded because it was right above me to my left. I looked up and the gas stove was intact. And I looked further to my left to him. And there he was with a black gun pointed at me from the front seat. And I realized he had shot me. And my first reaction was, are you shooting at me? It's like, what the fuck? Uh, pardon the language. No, you're fine. Um, you can go ahead and use any language you want. And uh, and I thought, okay, but he's warning me. He wants to take my stuff. And at that point, I was willing to give him all my stuff, leave me naked outside in the desert where we were, and drive off. And uh, uh, that would be a good bargain as far as I was concerned at that moment. But then he shot again. And the second bullet missed me by a fraction of an inch. And I realized he's not warning me. He's going to kill me. So what do you do when you're a sitting duck with 12 feet away from a man with his hand propped up, aimed at your head, and no escape? And so at that moment, I thought, well, I'm going to die. I, I didn't want to die with any anger or upset. I wanted to die with God in my heart. So I began to pray and put my attention on the heavens and the golden light, which I imagined as God. And it started pouring down into me and he shot a third time. And the third bullet also missed me by a fraction of an inch. And at this point, I wanted to die with a free heart. So I went back through my past and I asked forgiveness for in, to anyone that I had hurt. And I also forgave everyone that had hurt me. And this was my way of clearing my stuff out of the way so that I could die die with a with an open heart. And then meanwhile, so this, this beautiful golden light's flowing down. I'm in this beautiful state of space and time. And eventually I rise out of my body and I'm looking down at this little scene with two people in a van playing out this little uh, drama. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought that was amusing, you know, and, uh, and then the fourth bullet rang out. And my head was pushed violently to the right and blood started draining down on, on top of me. And I was back in my body. And I thought that was weird because I was supposed to be out of my body. I was already out of my body. I was ready to go to God, you know, okay, I'm ready to go home. Uh, but in this case, I was back in my body and the blood was all over the place. And I, I was, because I had studied neurology and psychology and the mind, uh, I was checking my whole body out to see what was missing because I figured the bullet had entered me somewhere around the temple and come out the other side. And so I ought to be missing something, but I wasn't missing anything. I couldn't find anything missing. I mean, my consciousness was intact. My body felt intact. 
Uh, I could move my fingers and toes. You know, so I was checking myself out to see what, how was I impacted, and I seemed to be okay. And at that point, I said, "Well, I don't want to. I, I, I want to. If I'm going to die, I want to look at my assassin in the eyes, because I was perpendicular to him." And so I picked up my head and I turned and I looked at him to my left, and he freaked out. He jumped up and he said, "Why aren't you dead, man? You're supposed to be dead." And I didn't have a good answer for that, so I just said, "Here I am." And then he said, "It's too weird, man. It's too weird. This is just like my dream." And I, th I said, "What dream?" He said, "I had this dream this morning that I was shooting at this guy, and he wouldn't die. But it wasn't you; it was somebody else in the dream." And at that point, I thought, "Okay, this is weird. <laughs> How did I get into this play? I don't remember signing a contract, <laughs> and how much am I going to get paid? At the, you know, when the movie's produced, it was like a weirdest feeling, um, and I realized that that something strange was happening. I was still in this golden light of God flowing through me. He was there jumping around, looking out the windows, and he kept saying, why aren't you dead? Why aren't you dead? I shot you four times in the head, man. Why aren't you dead? And I just stayed really quiet because I was in God light. Uh, and eventually I, I thought if I could keep him talking, he wouldn't shoot me again. Well, to cut a very long story short, uh, we ended up talking for eight hours. And during that time, I got to know who he was, where he came from, what what drove him to this act. Uh, I was basically holding him in love and care, and it was transforming him. In brief, uh, and at one point uh, we were out of the van and near some water, and I thought, well, he could shoot me in the back, but but uh, I I, knew, I felt invincible in some way because I was still in that golden light. And I turned to look at him and he held the gun out and he said, what would you do if I handed you this gun? And I said, I'd throw it out into the water. And he said, you wouldn't shoot me? You wouldn't try to kill me? And I said, no, why should I do that? We both have our life. We're both okay. And he looked at me very straight with a very strange look in his eye. And he said, man, you are the weirdest person I've ever met. <laughs> and I thought to myself, yeah, I'm probably the weirdest person you'll ever meet. <laughs> So uh, we, we went back to the van, negotiated some more, trying to figure out the, the other piece was that he said, I, I, I can't let you go because they'll put me back in jail. I can't go back to jail. I'm like, oh, he's not only is he a man with a gun, but he's an ex-con with a gun. So <laughs> that complicated matters. But anyway, we finally negotiated our way out of this situation. He didn't want to kill me. I didn't want to die. So we made an agreement that I would not turn him in and he would never do anything like that again. And we shook on it. And I kept my agreement, and I believe he kept his. So I paused for a second because I'm still trying to take that all in. It, it, not only is that a fascinating story, it's probably, um, I've never heard a story like that in my life before. Never, ever. And, um, it is, I, I, for someone to have me speechless on this show, for someone to have me speechless on the show is a testament to that story. Just, I mean, let's be honest, like no one wants to get shot. Like no one wants to fear for their life. Like no one wants to be in that position. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say like, 
I think everyone always has that thought. You're right. What would I do in this situation? How would I react? How would I protect myself? How would I make sure that I, you know, there's so many things out there that tell people, oh, well, leave this evidence so people can find your killer. Like do this, bite marks, scratch, all that stuff. Leave the DNA evidence. But your reaction was, one, I want to see my assassin. I want to, eye to eye, I'm going to face him. And to have the wherewithal to say, I want to have a conversation. You understand how that, you have to understand like that's not what what, what most people would do. You understand that's that, correct? Not, it's not normal. Yeah, I get that it's not normal. <laughs> um, and, th- and that is why my other podcast is, is named Relatively Normal because normal is relative, but I, I digress. But so let's, let I, I'm going to move on because I want to know when, when I talk to people on this show who experience and I'm not even going to say life-changing because this wasn't life-changing. This was almost life-ending for you. Does this make everything else small? Does it make everything else tiny? Does it kind of have you think of big picture more often? Or does this have you more in tuned with how you can live to be a better version of yourself? I really like that question. Uh, all of your offers were good ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it certainly changes your perspective. When anyone who's faced death has a different perspective, it's mm-hmm. sort of a club. It's like, oh, you faced death and I faced death. Yeah, we're part of the same club. And we didn't die. I mean, that's the other part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. the people that actually died don't get the I guess you really can't have that conversation <laughs> so, if you're if you're six feet deep. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Uh, but people, people have had dramatic experiences in their lives. I'm not the only one. There've been childhood traumas. People get beaten by their parents. Somehow they make it like it's nothing or it's just normal. But no, that's a traumatic experience. Um, I, many of my clients have been beaten within an inch of their life by their parents, and that's true trauma, uh, and it has to be dealt with as trauma. Um, people have been in car accidents where they survive. So my story is unusual, but there's a lot of people who have had this near death or coming close to death or talking to death, <laughs> having a conversation with death. So uh, that's a pretty big part of the population. And also people who have been out of body is a large part of the population. So um, what it did for me was it actually grounded me because uh, I was already a spiritual guy. I had studied <clears throat> all different kinds of religions and philosophies. And uh, so I was already spiritual, but I wasn't very grounded. I was kind of floating around as a hippie businessman. Uh, and so I, the one thing I knew after that incident is I wanted to stop driving around, <laughs> get off the road. <laughs> I wanted a real job, an office desk, you know. <laughs> so uh, I ended up, you know, interviewing after it, it took me a couple of weeks to sort of get my mind back inside my brain. Um, but, uh, then I started interviewing and I got a job as a headhunter, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? That I got my head hunted. Oh, and I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. I didn't think about that at the time, but, um, so that started a 25 year career in headhunting executive search. Uh, and it, it gave me a life. It, I made good money. I got married. I had a kid. I was a householder. And yet at the same time, I was still studying this thing called consciousness and spirituality. 
uh, but from a much more grounded place. And I, I had 20 years of practice with shamanic practices, and I studied many different religions and philosophies and took workshops and over a hundred actually uh, between then and now, uh, because I wanted to understand what it, not just what had happened to me, but what is life? What are we doing here? Why are we here in the first place? And what are we supposed to be doing here as opposed to what we actually are doing here? So that's, I'm a lifelong learner and that's been my path. You know, but the part of all this that it doesn't confuse me, but it, it surprises me is that people who have gone through anything near to what you're going through start to lack empathy. They don't, they, they, they've gone through it and they say, listen, if I can get through this, you can get, don't talk to me about what your parents did, or don't talk to me about what you went through, or don't talk to me about your kid being sick or don't, but you on the other hand have gone through this. And it seems to me, and, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to me that your level of empathy actually increased after this happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that way of saying, oh, you know, be tough, uh, that's actually a strategy to deal with trauma. It's a successful strategy. Well, I'm just not going to feel it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to go there because it's too damn painful. And so that's the sort of thing that gets locked up in your body and continues to drive you and drive your behavior your whole life. So it's actually an interference pattern, but it's a survival strategy so that you don't have to deal with the feelings. I find, and I teach, this is part of my training, that when you actually feel your feelings completely or you experience your experience completely, it actually finishes up and goes away usually in 90 to 120 seconds. But what keeps it stuck is when you don't feel it, when you don't experience, you push it down, you push it away, you resist it, you, come, you go into your head about it and think about it, or you talk to someone else about it endlessly, or you emote all over the place, or you go to the refrigerator and eat a chocolate cake. So these are all strategies for not dealing with your direct emotional experience. And so when you do face into it directly, as I faced into that man with a gun, it can actually resolve and be done and then it goes away. And you, what's left is the lesson rather than the resistance and the pain and the suppressed emotions. I'm going I'm to tell everybody right now, the last minute of what was just said on this show may be some of the most important and crucial information that all of us need to have. And I, I don't, th I've never heard it said better than I have heard it said here because you're absolutely correct in the fact that we will get stuck in that action. We'll get stuck in that. Okay. I've gone through it. I gotta be tough now. I gotta be, I've, I've done the hard part. Now I gotta be tough and I have to leave that legacy. I have to leave it with everybody around me. But what have we learned from it? What can we give from it? And I, I honestly, Lion, I've never heard it said the way you just said it. And I think a lot of us can take from it. And whether we're parents listening to the show, whether we're professionals, whether we're consultants, whether we're therapists, whether we're whatever we are, there's some sort of trauma, there's some sort of stress, there's some sort of something that we're going through that for some reason a lot of us are stuck in the fact that 
I have to struggle my way through this. I have to tough this out. I can't share my feelings. I can't feel. And I think that's the governor that a lot of people are keeping on themselves. That's the thing that a lot of people are, are saying. Well, not saying they might not be purposefully doing, but it might just be one of those things that it's just learned and it's just a social norm. But at the end of the day, like vulnerability is one of the biggest strengths that we can exude. Like that's one of the things that makes us human. But a lot of the times like we we want to bring that we want to push that down. We want to we want to say, no, 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 no. I don't want people to know this about me. Absolutely. And that's what keeps people stuck. And my specialty is helping people get unstuck by going to those suppressed experiences and those buried feelings and to bring them out into up to consciousness from the subconscious mind where they live, mm. bring them up into the conscious mind, allow the person to experience them fully. And we have a number of different therapeutic techniques to do that in a safe way and, and process it, let it process through because the body knows how to heal. Uh, the body has is a beautifully designed mechanism that's self-healing. But when you suppress something or push it away or push it down into your body or push it backwards, move away from it, the body doesn't have a chance to process it, nor does the mind, because it's a body-mind-spirit thing, right? Uh, it's all integrated together. We're multidimensional beings having multidimensional experience. So in order to re-experience something and process it, you need to experience it multidimensionally the same way you experienced it at the moment. But for most people who experience trauma, especially children, that experience is too overwhelming. And so they either separate out, they be dissociate, get, like leave their body so that they don't have to feel or experience the pain, or they go into their heads and get locked in their heads and become scientists or, or, or politicians. Uh, <laughs> well, they, they have feelings? Wait a second, they have feelings? Wait. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so these are all childhood strategies and they make sense. They made sense at the time because it allowed you to survive. But then as you get older, that buried thing is there like a big lump in your throat or a, or an iron bar in your stomach or, you know, or, or a, a whisper in your ears that tells you you're, you're a piece of crap. Yeah. So this is what we work with is we clear those things out using the clear beliefs method of therapeutic coaching. But but someone, someone. I mean, does someone have to be ready? Do they have to allow this to happen? Like, I'm just picturing, and and what you're saying sounds amazing, and what you're saying sounds like you want to help people, and you want to help people help themselves. But I mean, is anyone ever truly ready for that? Is any? And I know there's people who come up to you and they they go to your website and they listen to your shows and and they say, you know what? I listened to them. Finally, I'm ready. But let's be honest, a lot of people are living behind that veil. A lot of people are living in despair. A lot of people are living saying, I will never get to where I want to be. Well, that's the point really is that is that we don't have to tell people we're going to go into your past and clear it out so you can get move forward. Someone comes to me and says, I want to move forward with my life great. Tell me what that's about. And I just go right into the process. I don't, they don't have to be ready. They're ready because they want something different. They want either they want to be different or they want other people to be different or they want the world to be different uh, or they don't want to be themselves. They want to be somebody else. So th that's the problem that we solve. And 
coaching lacks the therapeutic element. I heard one of your other uh, guests talk about this. Um, and therapy lacks the coaching element. And this is a way of doing both at once so that you clear out the past so you can move forward because you can't move forward if that stuff from the past is holding you back. If there's a leash around your neck preventing you from talking to people, for example, or you know, preventing you from, from being able to ask for money or whatever the situation is. So people have the problem. They come to me and, and, and my uh, graduates and say, this is my problem. Go, okay, great. Do you, want to, do you want to solve that? Yeah. Okay, close your eyes. And then we just take them on a journey and, uh, and, and their the mind wants to heal. So their conscious mind doesn't have to be ready because the subconscious mind and the soul wants to heal. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit because you've mentioned that a couple times in regard to the subconscious, and and um, and I've never been one to to um, mince my words, and and I'm a, a firm believer in the subconscious. I'm a firm believer in the energy you put out, as energy you put in. But of course, let's be honest with each other. You're going to have that person's like, I don't believe in any of this. Like, come come on, line. Like, come on. Like subconscious, no, everything is everything. Like, don't give me that stuff. Like, talk about the subconscious and 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 how people can un- just so they can understand a little bit more about it and how it affects our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts. The subconscious mind is not mysterious. Uh, it's huge, but it's not mysterious. It's simply everything below consciousness. Sub means below, submarine, below the water. Uh, subconscious just means below our conscious awareness. So if somebody says, I don't believe in the subconscious, I say, well, where's all that experience you had? <laughs> when, when you dream, where, where does that come from? Um, you know, when you have those thoughts that come out of nowhere, where do they come from? Like, so they're below the consciousness. We don't have to understand how it functions or how it's structured. What we, we do need to understand how the mind works, which is predictable and, and manageable. Um, but if somebody doesn't believe in what I do, I just don't come. <laughs> and, and again, you don't have to believe in vulnerability or believe in anything. All you need to believe in is your own experience. Uh, that's what we work with. That's what we traffic in is experience, not theories uh, and not assumptions. We, we're specialists in beliefs, beliefs, assumptions, frames, paradigms, doesn't matter what you call them. That's, what, that's the infrastructure of the mind. So if you're willing to experience something, I can work with you. So and and that's beautifully done because you're absolutely right. And and you know, a lot of times people, you know, anybody listening to the show right now, like how many times have you told your body to breathe in and breathe out? Like you haven't. It just it just it just happens, you know, it's just something that happens. And but you know, one of the things that um and and maybe this is a, a personal question, maybe it's for some of the <laughs> the listeners, but um you know, one of the things that we always get into is, is our habits, is is the things that make us sick, the things that we do first thing in the morning, the things we think we do right before we go to sleep, the things that people know us for, and um, a lot of us need help with those habits. And it, it could be large habits, like I, I can't stop drinking, like I can't stop doing drugs, I can't do those things. It could be minor habits, like I just want to stay off of social media. I just want to watch less TV. I want to go to the gym. I want to get fit. But when we, when you work with people on their habits, is there any 
like golden rule? Is there anything that you that you see all the time or is it unique to the person? We are habitual creatures. That's for sure. Um, however, working on habits is sort of like trying to do heart surgery by uh, going through the foot. <laughs> it's kind of the wrong way around, you know. <laughs> so so um, I don't work with habits. I work with source material. So what is it you want to change that you're not able to change? Well, I want to stop eating sweets and goodies and I want to lose weight, but I can't. All right. Well, that's the dilemma. There's a part of you that wants to eat sweets and goodies, and there's a part of you that doesn't want to eat sweets and goodies. Now, that's a conflict. That's an inner conflict between two beliefs, or we could say two parts of yourself. So let's go and find out what that's made of. Like, where did that come from? Because procrastination, for example, is basically mixed beliefs, wanting more than one thing at once, often the opposites. And so you don't do either one because it's easier to not do something than to do something that might have a bad consequence or might have negative impact. So I was working with a woman recently who uh, was had been trying to lose weight for a long time. And she tried all of the external outside in processes, including special diets and coaches and, and all medical interventions, all kinds of stuff, still couldn't lose weight. So, well, let's find out what the core is. Where did this start? Well, I was three years old and I suddenly got chubby. What happened at three years old? Well, my mom and dad were fighting a lot. Well, what was your experience of a three-year-old that of, of your parents fighting? Oh, I hated it. What were your fears that came up? I'm, I'm shortening a very long conversation. Uh, I, I thought they were going to kill each other. Well, that's a pretty bad experience for a three-year-old because a three-year-old needs to survive. And if, if one of her parents kills the other, the other one will go to jail and they'll be left alone and die. That's kind of the bottom line for a lot of these fears. And she said, and there was nobody there to comfort me. I said, so what did you do? I started eating cookies. So basically a way to not feel the fear was to eat cookies, eat sweets to comfort herself. She should have gotten love from her parents. They should have been holding her, telling her it was going to be okay. But instead they were doing battle. And so she loved herself. She substituted her parents' love for loving herself by comforting herself. And there's the beginning of the habit. So that's what I'm interested in is where does it where did it start? Why is it happening? What can we do to unleash that that uh, inner structure that's driving the habit in the first place? And that I mean, when you put it that way and, and you have a story like that, it, it it's it almost becomes clear to see because we all know through science how the brain reacts to sugar. We all know there are comfort foods out there. We all know these things make us feel better. And if we associate it with a part of our life that we're trying to comfort ourselves, that is something specific, it all makes sense. But at the same time, those experiences, those memories were, were, were not just shouting out at her. Like she, she didn't want to talk. Like that's a tough part of her life. Let's be honest. Like that's a tough part of her life, and and it's your job, or you've put yourself in the position to talk to people about 
very important yet tough parts of their lives. Yeah, that's that's where the gold is. You know, if you're digging in the past, there's gold there. There's gems. You got to excavate. <laughs> you got to go down deep. And we, because of our methodology, we're able to go into deep memories that most people don't have memory of consciously. Mm -hmm. uh, they remember, but they're remembering it at a different level than a, the conscious mind. They're remembering it at the subconscious level. And it's coming through as experience. She experienced being three years old. You know, she knew she had a vague memory of her parents fighting, but that it took it took a while to get her down to that place where she could actually feel what she was feeling at that moment. And that happens all the time. We get people who have memories of being in the womb and sometimes past lives. So uh, it, it's a very deep process, and it can handle really anything that comes up. So this. You know, and a lot of the work you do um, has to do with beliefs becoming reality. A lot of it has to do with, and and I, I've 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 said it many times, and and I've had people say it to me is just because we think something doesn't mean it's true. Just because we have a feeling about something doesn't mean it's actually happening. But I mean, you. <laughs> We all know, like, if we believe something enough, it becomes our reality. If we believe, you know, if I've lost 300 pounds and I still believe I'm that overweight person, it's my reality. I'm going to still act like that person. If, you know, there's so many things that, that, that the brain, I don't want to say tricks us into, but kind of molds us into believing. So kind of talk about why, why are the beliefs so powerful and they become our reality? First of all, we have to make a distinction because when most people talk about beliefs, mm -hmm. they're talking about a mental structure. Mm -hmm. I believe in Santa Claus or I don't believe in Santa Claus. I won't, I let, believe, I won't let my kids hear this. I won't let my kids I believe in less government or I believe in, in more government. Right. These are beliefs at the conscious mental level. That's not what a belief is. When I talk about beliefs, I'm talking about the infrastructure of the human mind. In the same way that the brain is made of neurons, the mind is made of beliefs. So what is a belief at that level? First of all, we're multidimensional beings having multidimensional experiences and our beliefs come from our experiences. So they must be multidimensional too. And our processes are dedicated to that, the multidimensionality of beliefs as structures that are not only in the mind, but in the heart, in the body, in the spirit. It's like they are the structures we formed in order to survive. So I'll give you an example. Baby's in a crib. She cries and makes a fuss. And some mother comes and picks her up, takes care of her. This happens enough times and she figures out the pattern. If I cry and make a fuss, someone will take care of me. I'll get my needs cared for. Right? That's a really good belief for a baby. Now, is it at the verbal mental level? No, not at all. It's an experiential conclusion. Oh, from this experience, I got this pattern. So our minds are naturally pattern detectors and then pattern users. So now she knows that whenever I cry, make a fuss, I get cared for. Now, let's fast forward 40 years. <laughs> if she's still using that same structure to get attention, if I cry and make a fuss, someone would get my needs cared for. That's not very seemly. That's a problem. <laughs> okay. Now we're supposed to 
identify new and better patterns, but the old ones don't go away. They just get pushed down into the subconscious mind and they lie in wait there kind of with one eye open. And if anything looks or smells like the previous experience, that conclusion will come up and take over. Like, you know, we've all had the experience. We're in relationship with someone. They say something and boom, we're reactive. We're like, ah, (laughs) well, it wasn't what they said. It was the fact that it triggered an old experience in which I was out of control or somebody was controlling me or like whatever. So um, this is where, this is what beliefs are. They're the infrastructure of the mind and they're what make up our mind. They're what we make our personality out of. Mm. Oh, the conclusions we come to, what I believe about myself, what I believe about other people, what I believe about the world. That's my personality. And so it's made of beliefs. Again, um, I can honestly say I've, I've never had it explained in, in a way that was so descriptive yet succinct and like it was so understandable yet descriptive. Like it was, I totally under, like the whole time, like I'm like, oh, he's about to like, it's a huge paradigm shift, but he's ap- like, he's absolutely correct. And it's, it's, it's fascinating how I know the work you do is not, it's not simple work that you do. It's very complicated. It's unique to the person. It is, it, there's a lot of work experience that's needed for it. But at the same time, like what you mentioned before, you know, the gold is in that experience that you can go back and you can find that trauma and you can find exactly what put people in that position. So to the people you know, to the people that are listening to this show now, I know there's someone listening who's who's heard everything you've said and said, you know what? Lion is talking to me. He's talking to me. Like I I I I I want to not only I don't want to say make a change, I want to make progress, but I want to get to my why. I want to get to my, you know, alpha so I can get to the end. You know, what are just some steps people can take? And I don't want to take business away from you because you do a great job and I want people to go to the website. You can, again, you can pause the show right now, head over to the website, see all about Lion. But what are some things that people can do? Because we talked about at the beginning, we talked about high achievers, talk about super achievers, talk about underachievers, talk about low achievers, talk about all that stuff. If a person is in a rut right now and they just want they just want something to just kick start them into the correct decision. Now we're talking about people who have 9 to 5s, kids, a marriage, uh responsibilities, you know, all this stuff, but they want to start to feel like themselves again. What are just some things that they can just start to work on to help them kick start them in the right direction? I offer two ebooks. One is dedicated to the general public called Clear Your Beliefs. The other one is dedicated to practitioners, therapists, coaches, healers called Clear Your Clients, Limiting Beliefs. They both include an exercise, which is the answer to your question. It's the first thing you can do by yourself to begin uncovering what's running you. And it's called Belief Self-Diagnosis. And there's clear instructions in there about how to look look inside and start documenting all the beliefs you have about a particular topic. If you're in a relationship crisis, you look at all your beliefs about relationships and about men or women and and all that. If you're having business crisis, you start diagnosing and documenting all the beliefs you carry. And we have a lot of beliefs that are interfering with each other, opposites, contrasting, uh, conflicting. And so when you start seeing them on paper, when you document them on paper or 
on pix, pixels, <laughs> um, you, you can see like, oh, there's the there's the rub, you know, there's the, the problem. That's where the resistance is coming from. So the first step is always awareness. So bring awareness to the beliefs that are running you in any particular problem area. And then you can begin taking next steps. And there's next steps in the books. You know, and, and I appreciate that. And of course, there'll be links to all that in the show notes. But, you know, the, the last thing I want to kind of talk to you about, because I, I, I hear what you're saying, but we all know that person who is a constant external blamer, is a constant, and you've already mentioned there can be external factors to people and why they're in the situations they're in and why they feel the way they feel. Like we're not discounting that. But there are the people out there, and I'm sure you've worked with a bunch of them, where everything that is wrong in their life, everything that is detrimental to their happiness is all someone else's fault. How do you even begin that conversation? Well, first of all, you understand it as a brilliant strategy that the child came up with to survive. And then it's like, oh, that's just your strategy. That's your chosen strategy. It's not, there's a lot of people that choose that strategy because it's a good strategy. Blame others. Yeah, that's a great way to stay out of trouble. <laughs> it's a great way to not take responsibility. It's a great way to escape punishment. I mean, that's a brilliant strategy. So my attitude is that all strategies that children came up with are were brilliant for them at the time. And I tell my clients, look at how intelligent you were to come up with that. It made so much sense and it allowed you to survive. Now, how's it working for you? <laughs> And, and when so that's where I go. It's like good for you, and how's it working? Uh, that's my my main way of asking questions. So uh, if a person is committed to that strategy, I, I I'm not going to persuade them to change it unless they come to me and they say my life's not working. It's because of all of those people. <laughs> and I say, well, would you would you, would you like to change someone? <laughs> yeah, all of them. So, well, let's start with you because <laughs> we know you can change you, but, you know, it's going to be hard to change those other people. I'd like to also, I'd like to change a lot of other people, but I find it not very useful for my energy. What, once you figure that out, please let me know because I have yet to figure that part out. <laughs> so, um, Lion, this has been amazing. How do people get in contact with you online or just find out, find out more about what you're doing? So many ways. Uh, so liongoodman.com is my personal website. It has links to all my other activities. Uh, if you are a therapist, healer, coach, consultant, and you want to learn this methodology, clearbeliefs.com. And that will tell you about my training. Uh, those are the two best places. I have a YouTube channel. I'm uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, just Google me and you'll get eight pages of references. I love it. Lion, this has been amazing. Again, that is L-I-O-N-G-O-O-D-M-A-N. Look him up online. Go to his website. Go to clearbeliefs.com. Google him. You will find him. And I, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. I really appreciate you uh, you opening me up to a different way of looking at things also. And um, I just look forward to, to, to learning more about you and, and going to the website and, and reading the book. I, I really look forward to that. So you take care of yourself and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Mark. It's been a great pleasure talking with you.
Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run Podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AMRun to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.